Take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do we have any, I think we have at least one, um, licensed drivers? Fully? Okay, fully, okay. Uh, we'll count that, all right? So Stella's, how many permitted drivers? Okay, a couple more. All right, who's going to help me? Stella's going to help me because she has her license. She could actually do this, all right? So Stella, um, I would really like to uh, treat everyone to pizza today um, for lunch. And this is the key to my van because you're going to need a van. That's how much pizza we're getting. So did you bring a car today? Did you bring your car today? All right, yeah, that's not going to work. You need a van That's because we're getting lots and lots of pizza. So I would like, uh, I, I need you to go pick it up. And of course, because it's the best kind of pizza, it comes from uh, Mamma Mia. So she's going to have to drive out, uh, out uh, Mayus Avenue there. It's a little bit of a ways to get it. And so I want, I'm going to give her the key to my car so that she can go with the task of going and getting pizza for all of us. And I want you to help me. You are going to be Stella's moral conscience, okay? And so Stella, in... In the, in the process of going to get pizza, um, she decides, oh, could I, hmm, I mean, it's a really nice van. Well, it sort of is a nice van. <laughs> the interior is a little rough because I have four kids, but I like to make the exterior look pretty nice. Uh, and it drives pretty nice, so, you know, it's a decent car. But Stella decides, could, it, could, I, could I take it to the mall to go shopping? You are Stella's moral conscience. Yes or no? Would it be right for Stella to take it to the mall to go shopping? No? Okay. Um, would it be right if she decided um, to uh, take it to the, the, the nearest Honda dealership and trade it in for something else? No? Um, what, if, what if she needed it tomorrow and she just decided to keep it for an extra day? No? What if she took it to the nearest uh, chop shop and had it uh, uh, divided up and sold for parts and got a check from it? She'd go and spend it. You're saying no again. Why? Why are you saying no all the time? You're just one of those no people? Why is it, why is that, what's wrong with that, Josh? Because it's not hers. We're going to be talking about this week some, some principles of separation. But before, before we deal with those principles, there is a very important truth that we need to understand. And it is what Josh just said. It is the principle of ownership. And we'll get into that in just a second. Now, at this stage of your life, as a young person, as a teenager, and some of you are entering, we have a fairly large senior group this year, you're entering maybe your senior year, or maybe you're entering your junior or sophomore year, um, you're beginning to grow, you're beginning to mature, you're in a stage of transition. And as, as a little kid, your parents had certain rules that they put in place. And if you're coming to school here at EBA, there's certain rules that are put in place and you agree to abide by those rules in order to remain a student. And so most years, I don't know if you did it this year, um, but you had to sign a little paper. Did you do that this year? <clears throat> you had to sign a little paper saying, I agree to abide by the rules. Some of you are homeschoolers and you're uh, participating in some uh, some extracurricular activities and things here at the school. And of course, there's some rules for you. One of those rules is to be here in chapel, all right? And you agree to abide by those rules in order to remain a student. Now, some of those rules are just for organization, all right? Just to make everything run smoothly. Some of those rules, though, have to do with biblical principles and, and things that we see that God has given us in the Bible that, that ought to guide our behavior, and the purpose of those rules is not to ruin your life. The purpose of those standards are not to just make you miserable, but those standards are for your protection and for the protection 
of God's principles and God's commands. They're, they're fences that are put up so that we don't cross over and violate a principle that God has given us or violate a clear command that God has, has given us. And so you're, you're transitioning from, from a place where you didn't set up those fences. You didn't write those rules. You didn't make them up. You're a victim of the rules. Maybe you like to view yourself that way. But in, in essence, you, your parents did that for you. Here in the school, the leadership here, pastoral staff, we decided for you, all right? We set up the rules. But you know, one day that is going to change and you are uh, fast approaching the day when that changes. When, when the switch sort of flips and then, uh, hopefully it's not that extreme where it just goes from off to on, but that your parents are being wise and giving you some freedom and some responsibility and slowly loosening the control that they have in your life. But eventually you're going to get to the point where I hope you mature enough to, you know, get a job, move out of your parents' house. I mean, eventually, not right now, but eventually, I, I hope that in 15 years, we don't still find you living in your parents' basement. Not a good thing, especially guys, right? Just, ugh, all right? Not a good thing. But you'll be living on your own. You'll be earning a paycheck. You'll be paying rent in an apartment or or some of you guys, you know, you want to buy a house and that's a wonderful thing. But you'll be out on your own and you will have to set up and draw your own lines, construct your own fences. And our, our goal here at church and as a school and over these next few chapel periods is to, to help you learn and understand why some of the boundaries that we have established are there and maybe even some rules in your home, why, why they're there so that you can understand how to establish wise boundaries in your own life and set up wise boundaries not based on what you feel, not based on what your preference is, but based on what God's word has to say. So one day you'll graduate, one day you'll move out, one day you'll maybe even move to a different church or a different location. I know right now your friends will always be your friends and your church will always be your friend or your, your church, but things change, life changes, and, and you might move away from here. Uh, perhaps you'll go somewhere else for, for a job and you'll be a part of a different church. You will need to know and understand how you set up your boundaries. Now we look across the, the room today and y'all look wonderful, all right? Most of you got the uniform shirt on and, and uh, everyone has conformed to the rules because if you're smart, if you don't conform, what happens? You get in trouble. Well, no one wants to get in trouble, so we just conform because it's easier. But just conforming to an, an external image is, is not the goal. I could look at all of you and say, look at a wonderful group of young people. And you are a wonderful group of young people. But from the external side, see, everything is great because everyone is conforming. But conforming is not the issue. It's kind of nice. It's nice to not have conflict all the time. But conformity is not the issue. What, what we need to get to is what's in the heart. Because separation standards is not necessarily an external issue. It's not an outside issue. It is primarily a matter of the heart. And if we can own this truth, own the principle of ownership, understand the principle of ownership, it will take us a long way. So we're going to deal with some of the specifics in the later days, tomorrow and, and Thursday and Friday. But today we need to understand the crucial principle in separation, and that is the principle of ownership. Now, there's a couple of truths that we should know. First, let's read 1 Corinthians 6, and that's going to provide our framework as we look into this, this issue of ownership. Look in verse 19. And actually, it's very interesting. I was, in doing some study for this, I was looking at verse 18, and verse 18 deals with the, the issue of fornication, and we're going to talk about that in a couple days from now. Uh, we're going to talk about that issue. 
But does God have the right to kind of tell you what you should and shouldn't do in the, the issue of, or, of morality, in the issue of, of sex, all right? Does God have the ability to tell you what you should and shouldn't do? And he lays that out in verse 18. And to back that up, verse 19 says, what? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? This is an obvious truth that, Paul is having to write, but he's asking it kind of in this incredulous manner, like, you don't know this? This should be obvious to you. And then verse 20, he restates it. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And of course, we talked about the need to glorify God on Sunday night. And that's our, one of our primary uh, purposes as, as Christians, is to glorify God. But he starts with, in verse 19, know ye not that your body. The emphasis is on our bodies. Now, he does mention later on our spirit. And, of course, your spirit is that part of you that is awakened. It's, it's quickened. It's, it's brought to life when you got saved, when you were born again, that's the part of you that communicates with God. It would make sense to us that God would say, I want your spirit. And he does want our spirit. We are to, to love God in our spirit. But God goes further and he says, your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. I want, I want you to glorify me with your body and your spirit. All right, so for those of you taking notes, let's, let's deal with number one. Before we really unpack this principle, let's, let's kind of allow this uh, to walk through this, this passage and we'll consider some important truths that we should know. On this principle of ownership, what are some important truths that we should know? So that's, you know, big number one, letter A underneath. What are some important truths? Well, he starts off the verse, verse 19, know you not that your body. Where does your body come from? So some participation. Where'd you get it? Where did it come from? Anyone? Anthony? It came from God. Hold your place here. Go back to the book of Jeremiah chapter 1. And here is the truth, the first truth that we have to understand. When, and it, it, will, it will help us develop this principle of ownership. The first truth is, my body is a creation of God, and it is a gift from God. My body is a creation of God, and it is a gift from God. I received, you received the body that you have, not by your choice. You didn't go to the dealership and, and pick out which model you would like. That would be nice, I guess, wouldn't it? All right. Hair color, eye color, height, um, whether or not you'd have to wear glasses, uh, you know, what your build would be, all that sort of stuff. No, God gave it to you. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 1, God describes it this way. I'm going to need some readers. We're going to Look at some verses. So verses 4 and 5, I need two volunteers to read that. Verse 4, Ethan. Verse 5, Zacchaeus. Go ahead. Said before I formed thee. I knew thee and ordained, or he chose a purpose, a specific plan for Jeremiah's life. So, so God is telling Jeremiah that he was the one who formed your body. This morning, you realize that it was God himself who formed your body. He did it on purpose. And in the case of Jeremiah, he did it for a purpose. And the same thing with us. God designed you. God made you in a specific way for a specific reason. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. You are not some sort of uh, a, 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 a terrible consequence of some bad decisions. 
which is the way the world often treats, um, uh, not young people, but babies in the womb. That they are unfortunate consequences that need to be gotten rid of and exterminated. No, your, your body is a gift from God. You are not an accident. You are not a mistake. The world screams at you from all sides, your body isn't good enough. Whether that is what you see in advertisements online, advertisements on TV, what you see out in the world, the world screams at you, your body's not good enough. You're too tall. You're too short. You're too fat. You're too skinny. Uh, your hair is not long enough. Your hair is not short enough. And you have to conform your body to fit an image so that it is good enough. And so the world says in order to be happy, you know, you, and, and this changes, it ebbs and flows through, through different generations. In order to be happy, you know, you need to starve yourself so that you can be thin because, you know, it's all about being thin. In order to, ha- in order to be happy, you have to put this in your body. You got to drink. In order to be happy, you got to smoke or in order to be happy, in order to get this really good feeling, there's this, there's this drug that you can take. There's this drug that you can smoke. And boy, it just makes you feel so good. In order to be happy, and this one is a reality, in order to be happy, you have to damage your body. There are people who cut themselves. It's very demonic in its origin because you're taking the gift that God has given you and you're saying, I'm, I'm, it's not good enough. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, participate in destroying it and harming it. There's something wrong with that. It comes not from God, that attitude. It comes from the devil. People piercing up their bodies anywhere and everywhere. I mean, your ears are not designed so that you could drive a truck through your earlobe. God didn't design it that way. Um, God didn't design for you to stick a rod through your tongue. But see, the world says what God has given you, your body is not good enough. You've got to change it so that you can be happy. No, no, no. The, the, the principle, the truth that we need to understand is that God made you on purpose. The body he gave you is a gift from him. And it's a precious gift from God. And the reason that it's precious is that you only get one. There's no returns. There's no do-overs. You only get one body. That's all. It's a precious resource that has been given to you by God. So your body is a creation or a gift of God. That's the first truth. The second truth is this, and we find this back in our text, verse 19. Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. My physical body, and this is mind-boggling, my physical body, if I'm a Christian, if I'm, if I'm saved, my physical body is the dwelling place of God. The, the origin of the word temple, which was preceded by the tabernacle, the very origin of both of those words means that it's the dwelling place of God. That's where the word comes from. And so your physical body is the dwelling place of God. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. I'm going to need somebody to read that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16. Anthony? Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwells in you? You are the temple of God, and the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. This is one of the evidences of salvation. There is a promise that God gives in uh, Romans chapter 8, if I'm getting that right off the top of my head, that literally tells you that if you are a Christian, if you are a believer, the Holy Spirit will commune with your spirit that you are, the, that you are a child of God, that you are a son of God. It means literally you can, you can ask God, would you commune with my spirit at this very moment? And do I have the Holy Spirit? And there's a promise from God that God says, if he's in there, he will commune with your spirit and he will tell you, you are a child of God. That's a promise that we have. But that happened when, when you were saved. God came in the form of the Holy Spirit to live inside of you. What an amazing thought that God would want to dwell in you 
because he wants to have fellowship with you. And it was something that he wanted so badly that he devised a plan of salvation which involved him suffering and dying on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, thereby satisfying God's justice and God's holiness and allowing now him to dwell within you. What a great sacrifice. What a great price was paid because he wanted to have fellowship with you. He wanted to live inside of you. And he says, the house that I live in is your, not your spirit, but your body. So God gave you your body. God dwells in your body when you get saved. And this dwelling, number three, the third truth is this. I don't deserve the Holy Spirit's indwelling. It is a gift. In verse 19, watch, know you not that, the body is, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, here's the next phrase, which ye have of God. Which ye have of God. And then, of course, verse 20 says, you are bought with a price. So I don't deserve for the Holy Spirit to be indwelling inside of me. It is a gift from God that God would want to dwell with me. Turn to uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and look at verse 13. Think about the illustration of what is the Holy Spirit that God gives to you. You'll notice there's a couple words here in Ephesians chapter 1 which describes what the Holy Spirit is to us as, as believers. So I'll need someone to read verse 13 and verse 14. Isaac verse 13 and Josh verse 14. Go ahead. which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So it started with the, the belief of the gospel, responding to the gospel. And then God says, I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit. You're going to be sealed. All right, the idea of sealed is, you know, you roll up that letter and it gets sealed with wax. That means it's not going to be open. Nobody's going to touch it. Nobody's going to damage There's damage it. It's eternal security. We're sealed until the day of redemption. But then he says that the Holy Spirit is given to us also as a, what was the word? Given to us as a, starts with the letter E. As an earnest of our salvation. Does anybody know what the word earnest means in that, in that context? Earnest, Anna, the down payment. Think about this. One day, one day, some of you are going to get married. All right? So young ladies, there's going to be a young man who's going to be smitten with you, and, and, uh, and God will bring you together maybe, and, and uh, then we get, we get to this point where we know this is what God, God wants. This is his will. We're moving forward. We're going to get married. You're going to get engaged. You expect a little something at engagement, right, ladies? Right? I mean, what if, uh, what if you got in, engaged and, and your, uh, your future husband said, oh, this is so wonderful, engaged now. Um, let, me, let, let me buy you, uh, let me buy you uh, one of those little stuffed uh, animals at, at the fair. Fiona's like, mm-mm, mm-mm. Keep that, all right? Keep that. You expect a little something, like an engagement ring. You know what that engagement ring is? That ring is a token of that young man saying, I am going to marry you. And as a proof of my commitment to marry you, I'm going to buy something that is really expensive. When I bought Miss Jackie's engagement ring, that was the most expensive thing I had ever purchased in my life. And I don't really like to spend money all that. I like to kind of save money. That's the kind of person I am. I don't like to spend it all the time. Some of you are big spenders. I'm not a big spender. I like to, to save it. That was a lot of money. 
But I gave that to her because that was a token. I, I was saying to her, I am going to marry you. And as proof, as, as evidence that one day we're going to be married, I'm going to give you this. And you know what? You, you don't have to say it, ladies, but you, you like that ring. Every once in a while, I'm just like. And then, and then you have to like show it off, you know, just place it places like, hey, look at this. All right. All right. It, it, it brings a, 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 a great deal of of satisfaction of happiness to you but it is only a down payment it is only a promise of what is to come it is the earnest of your marriage and one day I would hope that that young man fulfills that promise that he made and you get to experience all of what marriage is which is a wonderful gift from God do you know the Holy Spirit is just like that it's just like a ring that God gives to us it's the earnest it's like here is a taste of how wonderful it will be when we are in heaven together for all of eternity. Here's just a little taste, and it is a token of my promise. I am, I, I'm giving this to you as a gift, proving that one day this is going to happen. You are going to spend eternity with me uh, in heaven. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God has given you. You don't deserve it. But it's something that we get to, to have. That was number three. Number four. We also see from this verse, verse 19, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. The fourth principle or the fourth truth is this. My body has been purchased by someone else. I am not my own. Verse 20 ends. Your body and your spirit, which are God's. Somebody look up Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. I'll volunteer Titus 2, 14. Somebody do that? Not all at once. All right. And, um, Leah's going to do that. And then I, I need uh, Acts 20 and verse 28. Anna's going to do that. All right. We're thinking about this truth. My body has been purchased by someone else. Titus 2, 14 says, just getting there. He gave himself for us so that he might redeem us. What does the word redeem mean? The word redeem means to purchase. And in the case of in this specifically, to purchase back. What is Acts 20 and verse 28 says? So we understand that your body was purchased. It was bought by Jesus Christ. How did he do that? Acts 20 verse 28. There was a transaction made for the body that you live in. And that transaction involved the Lord Jesus Christ buying your body to himself. And the purchase price, the, the, uh, uh, the finance, if we put it that way, the, the means of exchange that was used is it gave his very own blood. The most expensive, the most precious substance there ever could be beyond gold and diamonds and rubies and whatever platinum and all, whatever substance man could come up with, the blood of Christ is the most expensive, the most precious. And that's what was used to purchase your body. Not just your soul, but also your body. That's the emphasis here in 1 Corinthians 6. So your body has been purchased by someone else which means that letter D or whatever we are at, all right, sorry, letter E, that'd be number five. I am not my owner. Now we're developing this principle of ownership. Not only has your body been gifted to you by God, but it has been purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ, which means the body that you live in is not yours. So Stella, you may not take my van to the mall to do what you want with it 
Because it's not yours. I gave you the key because there's a specific purpose that I want you to fulfill. And if you're not fulfilling that purpose, you're not doing what's right because the van doesn't belong to you. And you definitely don't have the right to take it to the nearest chop shop and and sell it for parts so you can walk away with the money to use it for your own gain. Is it because I'm being mean? I'm being harsh? I should be much more understanding, Pastor Gable. It's not hers. It's mine. I bought it. And I paid a lot of money for it. See the principle of ownership? The principle of ownership states this, that God has the right to dictate what you do with your body. We need to understand this because there's so many Christians that they kind of just gloss over this truth. It's kind of like, I'm under grace, I can do whatever, whatever I want. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but the body that you have is not yours. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the one who bought it, who purchased it. You are not your owner. And we see that clearly in our text. At the end of verse verse 20, your body and your spirit, which are God's. And then verse 19 talks about how ye are not your own. So God has the right to dictate what you do with your body. God has the right to dictate what you put in your body. Do you realize that? In just a, in just a few hours, you're going to put some things in your body. At least most of you will. Sometime today, you're going to put some things in your body. Do you realize that even those things that you put in, like the things that you eat and you drink, that that should be submitted to what God wants? Part of the reason we have an absolute epidemic in our country is because we put in what we want. And that's not submitted to Christ. That's not submitted to God. If God is my owner, he has the right to tell me what I put in my body. And there may be times, there ought to be times, think of uh, uh, fasting as a way for you to say, I'm going to allow God to dictate, I'm going to actually set all of that aside so that I can give myself to seeking God through his word and through prayer. And there's all sorts of things that are acceptable. There's nothing wrong with those things. But in, in the specific context, that needs to be submitted to God. Do you want me to drink this right now? Do you want me to eat this right now? Should I be eating this? Should I be eating the amount of this that I'm eating? And why, is, why, is that, why does that matter? What's the big deal? It's a big deal because your body doesn't belong to you. It's not yours. And I would think, Stella's a wonderful young lady, so she would do this, right? If there were any other purpose besides going to Mama Mia's and picking up pizza and bringing it back, if there were any other purpose or any other reason why she might need that, she would come to me and ask and say, you know what, uh, uh, Debbie would really like to go with me. Is it okay if, if Debbie rides along? We've got some extra stuff. Can we put that in the van, transport it? Uh, while we're doing the, the job that you get. And I would consider you know, that request. The reason why they would ask is because it's not theirs. That's the principle of ownership. God has the right to dictate what you do with your body. That, that includes what you put in your body. That includes what you put on your body. Your clothing. What kind of clothing? The amount of clothing. God has the right to dictate what you put on your body. God has the right to tell you where you take your body. God has the right to tell you how to use your body because he owns it and he owns it double fold, which I know is not the proper way to say that. He owns that two times over because he's the one that formed it. He's the one that made it. He's the one that gave it to you. And then with his own blood, he purchased it back to himself. He redeemed it to himself. So God has the right to dictate what you do with your body. So those were some important truths that we should know when it comes to the principle of ownership. Let's talk about some important lessons. And we've kind of already swerved into this, but we'll be quick with this. Important lessons that we need to apply. One of those lessons is clearly stated that Paul writes right in verse number 20. He develops the principle of ownership 
That you are, that your body, you, you have it of God. It's the temple of the Holy Ghost. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, so I laid out all these truths so that we could get to the lesson. The lesson is this. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The first lesson is my purpose is to glorify God. In both my spirit and my body. My purpose is to bring glory to God. How do we bring glory to God? What does the word glory mean? Well, it means to praise. So how I use my body and my spirit ought to bring about praise to God. The word glory means to magnify something. How I use my spirit and how I use my body should make God big in the eyes of those that are looking on. It means to exalt It means to make someone look good. It means to demonstrate their importance, someone's importance or someone's weight, like we talked about on Sunday night. How I use my body ought to communicate the importance of God to those that are around me. We see this in Romans 12 too. Most of you haven't memorized, all right? We won't turn there yet. We'll get there later, but... Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You understand that what that means? You live in a certain way. You use your body in a certain way that proves that God's will is good, it's acceptable, it's perfect. That means it's God's will for Anthony, for example, to live his life so much so that we could, we could stand back, watch the path that God takes him on and say, you know what? Anthony followed God. He pursued after God's will and it was good. It was acceptable. It was perfect. God's way really was best. And you see how that brings glory to God? You see how it magnifies God? That's our purpose. To prove that God's will is as good as he says it is. So my first important lesson is that my very purpose is to glorify God in both my body and my spirit. How do we glorify God? Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I glorify God by presenting my body as a living sacrifice. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your... There it is again. There's this emphasis on our bodies. Now, I can understand present your soul... Present your spirit. But God says, yes, all those things are included, but I also want your body. Present your body as a living sacrifice. And he uses the word present. We also get, in the same word pronounced differently, it's a present. You present a present. Why do you give someone a present? Because you have to. No. Why do you give someone a present? Serena, what are you going to say? To show your appreciation. Callie, why would you give someone a present? Show that you care, that you're thinking, that you love them. And I hope you're transitioning out of you know, childhood, which is all about receiving, to now adulthood, which is all about giving. I enjoy giving. Just the other day, you know, uh, Brother Anger and I were talking. This is Pastor Anger up in Bloomsburg. We were talking about something. And I thought, you know what? I, just, I would just really like to buy that for them. So I hopped on Amazon and I got, got the address and, and put a little note there because you can do a gift note and everything. And, and uh, uh, packaged, or I didn't package that up, but I sent it on to Amazon and sent it to his address. And it was like, I was like a little kid, like watching, is it, when's it going to be delivered? You know, when's it going to show up? And you get the picture now with where it is right on his front porch. And it was like, it gave me great joy because it was a way for me to demonstrate that, that, that I care about him. And it's some, it was something small, it was something insignificant, no big deal. It wasn't lots and lots of money, but it was just a way that I could show that I care about him. And I enjoy giving in that way. Do you know that God says that we are to present our bodies? To kind of give to God as a present? Why? Because we love him. 
because of all that he's done for us. Because we care about him. I present my body. And I present my body as a what? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What makes something a sacrifice? Picture the altar. What makes... What takes a sheep from being a sheep to being a sacrifice? What do you have to do to the, the animal? You have to kill it, right? That's what makes it a sacrifice. Otherwise, it's just the sheep. We're to present our bodies as a sacrifice, which means that I put aside the wants, the wishes, the desires of my body. I literally put them to death and replace them with what God wants, with what God wishes, with what, God's, with, 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 uh, what God desires. And this allowed Paul to say in Philippians 1.21, for me to live is Christ. In other words, how I'm conducting my life would be the same way that Christ would conduct my life if he were in my shoes dictating the circle. It's kind of like looking on we wouldn't be able to tell the difference between Paul and Christ. For me to live is Christ. I have sacrificed my wants, my wishes, my desires. I have put them to death and I've replaced them with God's wants. And God, I say that right, God's wants and God's desires and God's wishes. That's what it means to sacrifice. And that's what it means to glorify God. So I glorify God by presenting my body as a living sacrifice. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We read verse 16. I want to also read verse 17 with it. So verse 16 is going to sound familiar. We're going to get to lesson number three. So let's go, let's go ahead and read chapter, verse 16. A volunteer to read verse 16. Yes, we'll have you do that. Um, Titus and then 17, Callie. All right, go ahead. All right, so we developed all of that. Our body is the dwelling place, the home, the temple of the spirit. And what, was, what does that mean then? What are the ramifications of that, Callie? Verse 17. Wow. He says, if anyone defile the temple of God, um, a little review. What is the temple of God? Our body. If we defile, the word defile is damage, destroy, misuse. If we defile our body, what did that verse say God was going to do to us? Destroy. That word destroy is actually the same word for defile. So it's kind of the idea, if you defile your body, God is going to defile you. That's strong. Him will God destroy. And you know what? This leads to our third principle. God is going to hold you accountable for what you do with your body. He's going to hold you accountable. He says, you defile my temple. I'm going to destroy you. You know what? I've seen this. There's a certain level of destruction that sin brings. And then there's a certain component in which God kind of adds on top of that. And what's sad is I've seen this way too many times. I've looked across a group of young people just like I look across this group of young people and everyone looks wonderful. And I don't say that to, as a joke. All right, You do. They look like wonderful young people. There's great potential that's here. Everyone looks great on the outside. But I know from experience that there will be some, like there has been some in years gone by, that have decided, you know what? I'm out. This is it for me. I'm out of here. And I don't see them for a long time. And then one, one day they show up. And I can see the destruction in their body. 
Yeah, in their, in their spirit, in their soul, they're defeated, they're destroyed, but I also see the destruction in their body. And that's sad. The toll that sin has taken on their lives and even, yes, on their body, because God will hold you accountable for what you do with your body. And that makes sense. Why? Because he is the owner. Which means, number four, in our our last important lesson, I should dedicate my body to God, not grudgingly, but thankfully. Isn't this what Paul says in Romans 12.1? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable to give your body to God. It makes sense. Uh, two more verses real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 15. Somebody look that up. 2 Corinthians 5, 15. Luke's going to do that. And then Titus 2 and verse 14. Titus 2, 14. Need a volunteer. Someone who hasn't done it. Did you do one, Josh? Oh, all right, Josh. Titus 2, 14. Get some more people involved. We'll be done in just a moment, but think, think about this. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 15. Listen to the words that, that uh, Luke reads. And that he died for all of us, they which live should not henceforth present themselves to us, him that which died again and rose again. So he died and rose again for the very purpose so that we would not use our bodies, live to ourselves. But how are we supposed to live? Live, next two words. What is that, Luke? We're to live unto, no, what are we supposed to do? That's what we're not supposed to do. We're to live unto him, unto him. And why would we do that? Because he's the owner. Our bodies belong to him. Titus 2.14. Why did God redeem us? Why did God save us? Go ahead. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us more abundantly and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. We are to be a peculiar people. That's why God has saved us. We're to be peculiar people who are zealous of good works. Why are we zealous of good works? Because we understand that we belong to him. That he bought us. And we want to, you get the attitude there. We want to repay him for what he's done for us. Now with a present and a gift, there's no way you can give someone something that completely and adequately represents all of your love for them. Sometimes the gifts that mean the most are just something small. But in the moment it communicates the heart that's behind them. And that's the way it is with, with, our, with, with us and our, and our bodies. We can't repay all that God has done for us. But we can give him back that which he owns, that which he has bought. And this is why separation is a heart issue, because it comes from a heart that says, I don't belong to myself. I've been bought with a price. I've been purchased with the most valuable substance that there ever has been the blood of Christ, I could never repay, but I can give back what has been given to me. That I can do. And guess what? I want to do that. So instead of treating boundaries and fences and standards as, man, you tell me I can't wear that. I'm not allowed to listen to that. I can't do that. Everyone else is doing that. So your heart is in the wrong place. Our hearts ought to be in the place where we say, what does God want me to do with my body? What does God want me to listen to? Not what am I allowed to? What can I get away with? What do my parents say is okay? What does God want me to listen to? What kind of clothing does God want me to wear? What kind of places does God want me to go and not want me to go? 
I mean, we go to the scriptures with an attitude of, I want to know because I want to please you. Because we understand the principle of ownership. Your body does not belong to you. You have no right to use it as you please. Now, I will say maybe this with, a, with a one caveat. For those of you who are lost, your body has not been purchased. And so, you know what? You can go ahead and do what you want and suffer the consequences for it. I hope you don't, if you understand my heart. But if you are saved, if you are born again, your body does not belong to you. And you have no right to use it however you wish. Instead, your heart attitude ought to be, God, what do you want me to put in my body? What do you want me to put on my body? Where do you want me to take my body? How do you want me to use my body? Because it's a gift from God. It's been purchased by God. It is the home of God. And as the owner, he has the right to say what goes. And so over our next couple days, we're going to dig into the, the scriptures a little bit. Okay, what are some things that God has said about how we are to use my body? And I hope you will approach those with, oh boy, what's he going to say? What am I not allowed to do? But instead, okay, God, show me. Because one day you are going to have to set up some of these standards and fences. And everybody has standards and fences. Did you realize that? Everybody does. At some point, there is a line. But if we have the proper attitude, we're going to the scriptures first to find out what those lines are rather than going to ourselves and what we want and then determining where our lines are based on what we want. Our attitude is, God, you're the owner. Is that your attitude? Is that the spirit of your heart? I belong to you, God, and I want to, be, I want to use what has been purchased and given to me by you for your honor and for your glory. I hope that's your attitude this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, for your word, your scriptures. We thank you for the gift that you've given to us. The gift of our bodies and then the gift of your presence. If we're saved, that you desire to come and live within us, to commune with us, to walk with us day by day, to, 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 to live with us in your temple, which is our bodies. We don't deserve that, Lord. It's a gift from you. And I pray as we consider the fact that you have purchased us, you've, you've bought us, you own us. I pray that you allow that truth, that principle to affect our attitude. That we would approach your word not with, not with a hard heart, but with a heart of genuine desire of wanting to be used by you, wanting to, to glorify you, to, to make you big, to prove how good your will really is. I pray that we would take this principle to heart this morning. Bless the rest of our day, we pray in Jesus' name.